This is Right Now at AWS, the podcast series that surfaces patterns, best practices, and successful solutions across every imaginable industry. I'm your host, Katie Daftis. I'm excited to share this episode that highlights how customer Charity Water and partner TwistThink are leveraging AWS to ensure clean water for millions of people. It's estimated that unsafe water is responsible for nearly 50% of the diseases affecting people in developing nations. And while getting clean water flowing is the initial challenge for nonprofit groups like Charity Water, maintaining the water pumps can be even harder because when water pumps fail in remote areas, learning of the failure and then making repairs can take four years on average. But with an IoT solution that runs on AWS, Charity Water and TwistThink developed a sensor that allows real-time monitoring in some of the most remote places in the world, giving teams insight into water pump issues and alerting them to deploy repairs. Joining me today is Christoph Gorder from Charity Water. Christoph is the organization's chief global water officer. He leads efforts across 22 countries in Africa and Asia to provide clean drinking water to communities in need. We also have Kurt Daikima from TwistThink. Kurt is the managing director at TwistThink, a cross-functional team advising Charity Water on strategy and technology development in the IoT marketplace. Christoph, Kurt, thank you both so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it, and I'm so excited to talk to you today. It's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Good to be with you. So first, Christoph, I'm going to start with the challenges your organization face. Can you first provide details about water pump maintenance challenges? You know, you really summed it up nicely there in your introduction. First challenge is getting people access to clean water, and over 800 million people around the world don't have access to clean water. And that's, you know, that's almost one in 10 people. And, you know, the reason that they don't have access to clean water in many cases is because they're in very remote areas and they're in very resource constrained poor, poor areas. And so, you know, once you, once we do build a water system, then keeping it running is really a challenge given, uh, you know, how rugged the environment is, how much use these water systems get, and then how few resources there are there from, from the government and the communities to, uh, repair them and, and, and buy spare parts and, and, and whatnot. And so, you know, it's been a challenge for all of us across the sector, uh, you know, as we're working on, uh, on, on, on solving these tough problems to sort of make two steps forward and then one step back as wells and, and water systems fall into disrepair. And what was your initial approach to face these issues? Well, historically, you know, the only way you would know whether something was functioning or not in these remote areas is you'd have to hire somebody, put them on a motorbike, send them out there, and then they would check out the system and you'd have information or data from that one visit. So let's say, you know, for the half hour that the person was out there, whether whether the system was working and you don't really know how it was performing the day before or the day after it may break again. And so um, it's a really expensive proposition to to get very, very little data. And as we were scaling up as an organization and looking at, you know, we've built over 50,000 water points now across the developing world. And as we were scaling up, we were saying, geez, you know, how are we going to possibly be able to keep track of all of these over the years as we're continuing to grow and help these communities keep water flowing? Um, you know, it's, it's important to note, like, these communities are really very proactive and really working hard to keep their water systems going. And in most cases, they can handle all of the sort of minor routine repairs. But every once in a while, they'll they'll run into a problem that's beyond their ability to fix. And it's knowing when that problem happens, 
is very difficult to do, you know, before IoT. Yeah, that's interesting to me. So the industry standard had been hiring someone and having them go out to these remote locations. Obviously, that doesn't scale very easily. And you're right, it's just a flashpoint in time check-in. Yeah, and 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 so, you know, as we were starting to think about this, we started looking into this a few years ago, and we we looked around for inspiration and really we thought there was a lot of potential in smart cities technology, and particularly with the explosion of connected devices, we thought, you know, there has to be a way for us to take all of this really exciting, cutting-edge technology, which is revolutionizing our lives here in the United States and in other developed economies. How do we take this, harness the power of this for some of the world's poorest and most vulnerable people? So you had the vision, you kind of understood the how, but it sounds like you were still very much challenged with exact execution. Right. I mean, you know, we're a we're a nonprofit organization based in uh, in New York. We're good at telling the story of people who don't have access to clean water and raising money and raising awareness about the issue. Um, we're really good at building the projects and keeping them running, you know, in the field. But when it comes to things like IoT and artificial intelligence and computing on the edge and cloud computing, all of these things were way way outside of our wheelhouse. So we needed to find a partner who would help us understand the technology and what its potential applications were in, you know, in, in solving the problems that we were trying to solve. You did try to give it a go from what I understand though. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, you, you, you don't know what you don't know until you get into it. And, you know, very quickly we realized that building an original IOT device was really a very complicated uh, prospect. So, you know, we started out, was sort of a very simplistic idea. We we went around and met at least twenty different uh, labs working on on IoT in the sectors of irrigation and oil and gas in in water flow meters and to see if we could get their devices adapted to to what we were trying to do. And we just we couldn't find anything that would actually solve the problem we were trying to solve, which is to measure water in uh, a hand pump because there's the, the the dynamics of the water are very unique in a hand pump. It's sort of splashing chaotic water, and it's not like in a pipe like you would typically find in a pipe system uh, where where most flow meters are, are designed for. So we, we made some early attempts. Our challenge was we because the environment that we're that we're working in is so so challenging, we had to have a device that was completely ruggedized, couldn't be uh, tampered with or or removed. We had to have uh, something that that was really easy to install. Uh, we had to have something that where the battery would last a very long time, so we didn't have to have technicians changing batteries. So power management really uh, added exponential complications to 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 the device. So um, each one of the you know the design challenges in and of itself wasn't you know it wasn't an unsurmountable challenge. But once you start to group those design challenges together, it becomes very complicated and. Um, that's just the beginning because, as you know, the hardware is just uh, you know one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is what happens with all that data. Where does it go? How is it stored? How is it secure? And how does it get disseminated out to uh, to the users so that they can take action? And that part is where we you know AWS has really played the key role for us and has been really uh, a powerful tool for us. That's great to hear. How did you select TwistThink? 
Uh, actually, Twisting reached out to to us originally. They're a firm that really specializes in connected devices, and they were they were interested in finding a way to use their skills and talents to solve uh, humanitarian problems. What's made the relationship so productive, I think, is that we do have a commercial relationship. We do need to pay for engineering time and testing and, and all of that. But because of their you know, sort of dedication to the project and the higher goal that we have here, it really goes way above and beyond, which is what you need in a project like this, which isn't going to, it's not going to make anybody like millions of dollars. Like this is really, it needs to be a labor of love and, and, and very service oriented. But at the same time, we can't compromise the, the level of uh, professionalism that we need and, and the level of engineering. And Kurt, how did you get started on this project? Well, just to play a little bit off of, uh, of Christoph's story, we had been collaborating with a couple other ministries doing work in the water sector, and we really saw the opportunity for IoT to bring value, and we wanted to try to help. But as we tried to engage our team, the first step of our process is just to really understand and empathize with the humans that you're trying to serve. So um, we gathered a group of folks together, and we invited them to our studio, and we facilitated a day of discovery where we tried to, on a big whiteboard, we tried to visualize the journey map from when the need for water is identified in a community all the way to when uh, the water source is online and delivering water. And Christoph was one of our guests for that day. And he's a great collaborator. He brought great energy to the whole process. And that's that's what started our relationship. But the process for us goes back to that original goal of uh, empathize and understand the humans that you're trying to serve. Because if you don't, you end up taking technology and trying to solve a problem that that nobody really cares about. But uh, after that event and and a continued dialogue with the stakeholders in the sector, we continued to to see the value that IoT could bring. Um, And that's been the start of a of a really great partnership. Um, Charity Water is a great client, but it's more than that to us. For us, uh, they bring a higher purpose to our work, and it's great to take the the powerful tools of the cloud and radios and sensors and firmware and hardware and batteries and antennas and, and, uh, and, and to do good with it. We're excited about what the future is going to bring. We're only, we're only getting started. That's amazing. And you guys are so passionate and have such a mission-driven focus. It's really inspiring. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a gift. It's been a gift to, to get to know Christoph and his team and to work with them. They, they, uh, they're making a difference, and uh, they, they run their organization like a startup. So it's like uh, they, run, they run pretty fast. And so can we talk about the solution in more detail? Sure. I can give you a quick overview of the sensor that's for the India Mark II pump. It is a custom sensor. It's powered uh, with a primary cell from Tataran batteries. The chemistry in the battery is lithium thionyl chloride. 
It's hermetically sealed uh, with a hybrid layer capacitor. The reason why we need the capacitor integrated with the battery is that our main method of connecting the radio is through cellular networks. So our cellular module is a 3G modem that can roll back to 2G in areas where 3G is not available. Those types of radios need uh, high pulses of current in order to operate properly. And so this battery coupled with a capacitor helps us do that well. The sensor calculates water delivered uh, by sampling a vertical stack of capacitance electrodes. These electrodes are packaged inside the water chamber, which is attached to this ticket. So basically, our algorithm is converting the digital signature of water splashing around in that chamber and calculating the amount of water delivered out of the spigot. Water data is delivered to our AWS cloud platform through our connectivity partner, Aris, and the service in the cloud that receives the data is AWS IoT Core. As I understand, you very early on understood that this isn't just a solution, a one-off for charity water, but really it is an industry solution in terms of how it could scale. Yeah, I mean, charity water is, you know, one one of the organizations uh, helping to solve the water crisis. There are uh, many, many uh, nonprofits, you know, every government in the world is doing it what it can, but there aren't very many organizations that have the that have the capability to take on a project uh, of this level of sophistication. And so we've been in this this position where, you know, we we weren't able to convince the the big commercial sensors companies to take this project on and, and develop this as a product line. And, you know, most of the nonprofits and the, and the governments that we work with in the field in the developing world, you know, just didn't have the technical skills um, and scale to be able to, to try something like this. So Charity Water ended up a little bit in the middle with sort of enough technical knowledge and gumption to try to take this on um, and enough of an incentive that it would really be benefit, beneficial for us. But since the beginning, we've open sourced everything. We've, we've published the code and the designs on, on GitHub. And, you know, the idea right now is really to develop a technology which is reliable enough, affordable enough uh, for it to go, you know, be really widespread. And then we'll figure out the, you know, sort of the financial model down the road. And so we've, we've built it from the beginning with that in mind so that we always built it to be able to scale. And, uh, again, you know, that's that's. Uh, the, the the tools, the cloud-based tools that we have today are, you know, one of, like, the key advantage is we can scale up really easily to as big a scale as we need. And, you know, that just wasn't possible five, ten years ago. Um, the technology just wasn't there. It was too expensive. You had to do it on your own servers. We, you know, our, our thought with the sensors is that if we can figure this out, this becomes a tool for an entire sector that can help you know, has potential to help several billion people because there are there are three billion people in the world who have access to clean water, but their systems are really fragile. So they live in these remote areas. They've gotten a hand pump, and if the hand pump is down, you know, they, their only choice is to walk the extra miles to the next water point or to go back to the the river or the swamp, which is just is just 
you know, sort of a double tragedy. So a device like this can be can really have a huge application if we can get it we can get it right. And Kurt, you also saw how the solution could scale as well very early on. Yeah, um, I think Christoph's right in that with with their kind of footprint in the sector, they can bring critical mass to this solution, and we can we can propagate it globally. We we'd like to see a whole portfolio of sensors to support the different models of engagement that we see. So right now, the most mature sensor we have is the India Mark II. We'll follow quickly with an update to the Afrodev sensor. So we'll have the two most commonly available hand pumps. And then I think we're going to switch our focus and start to build out a portfolio of sensing solutions for pipe systems. So if you think about um, a borehole with a solar-powered pump that's uh, putting water into some type of storage tank, um, those type of systems uh, are also on our roadmap. And um, I'm hopeful in the next, so I'll just say one to two years, we'll, we'll have a portfolio of sensors available that can be um, mixed and matched with a large array uh, a large spectrum of different uh, water projects. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more in detail. So obviously, as you both had said, the code is available in GitHub, and we will uh, link to that in the show notes. But yeah, where does the project and solution stand? And let's talk about that two-year roadmap. Let me take a crack at it, and then, Kurt, you, I know you have ideas about this. Um, you know, I, I think that there's kind of two roadmaps. One is, how do we develop the use case in the field? How is this data going to transform uh, the operating reality in the field? And there, there's some really interesting stuff there. And then the roadmap for the technology of, like, what are the, what are the different iterations of this, and how, how does this suite of sensors continue to expand? But on the first one... We got into this with a pretty simplistic idea, which was like, let's develop a device that can go on a well, and if it stops working, it'll notify us immediately, and we can send a motorbike out there with a mechanic, he can fix the well. As we've worked on this more, we're discovering the power of data and IoT to really transform the economic models of the sector. Um, In our world, where I think this is going to go is it will open up economic Uh, opportunities for entrepreneurs to get involved in rural water supply and maintenance where they never have been able to before. So in the past and currently, um, you know, these wells are too remote. The marketplace is too fragmented for it to be a viable business for anybody. So the way it happens right now is the mechanic tends to be either from the village or, you know, from the market town nearby, may own a, uh, a little repair shop or a bicycle shop or something like that. And he might have, you know, 10 or 15 villages nearby that would call him up. But he can't quit his day job to, to run a maintenance business. And so it's done in a very, like, sort of, like, uh, amateur amateur way. If you have sensors on things and you put sensors on a 1,000 wells, all of a sudden uh, you can manage a 1,000 wells and do that on a contract for the government or a contract for an NGO like Charity Water. Once you can bundle it into hundreds, if not thousands of units, and you can do that through IoT, I think it's going to attract a completely different level of interest from the private sector. And Kurt? Yeah, just think about if you want to deliver water to a community that doesn't have it today, 
think about the logistics and controls that you have to put in place to make sure that that work is done well. You have to have the right concrete. You have to buy the parts from the right uh, suppliers so that you have a good quality product. What if you could instead pay for water delivered and focus on the output that you want and not the process and controls of, of construction? I think that has a powerful, powerful chance to, to change the conversations and change how uh, the folks like Charity Water engage with the sector and do the work. You both are truly so mission-driven and so focused on this and thinking so big about it. Uh, it was just a pleasure to speak with you and get a little more insight on what you're doing. Well, we're excited about it. We're excited to uh, to see what comes over the next couple of years. Um, thanks for, for helping us share the story. We need a lot of help. And to the extent that anybody out there thinks that they have some ideas or some resources that they can help move this project along. We'd love to hear from you guys. Just go to our website, charitywater.org backslash sensors, and you can learn a little bit more about it. Yeah, thanks for the time, Katie. Uh, thanks for getting the story out. And uh, we look forward to seeing what, what might happen in the months and years to come. It's going to be a great testament to the power of what the cloud can do for good.